0: everybody, welcome back to a Full Squad Quarcast. I'm Owen Newkirk alongside Sean Shapiro. This is episode 12. It's June the 12th. That's kind of some interesting symmetry. However, episode 11 started as a full squad, so it's not, not like Sean yes. didn't disappear. He just had some things going on. And in, to that end, Sean, let's get right to the fun of last week's episode, is the fact that we were literally recording our second segment, which was dealing with racism around the globe. And we were then planning on moving on to talking about the NHL components of racism and inequality. Yeah. And and there's a lot there. And I don't know if we're going to do that this week, but you found out as we were recording that uh, there were some serious things going down with your employer, the athletic. And obviously uh, that's had some reverberations throughout the, sports media world in the last week
1: yeah just uh, as literally as we were recording I got a basically uh, a text to uh, I got a text from someone I work with that hey I should probably check the internal slack channel that we have and you hop in on that and um, the the company laid off last week the athletic laid off 46 people Um, everyone else pretty much pretty much everyone else at the company got a pay cut of some sort a temporary pay cut but a pay cut and um, it's uh, just kind of it's unfortunate it's an unfortunate uh, reverberation of this this global pandemic it's hard to be a sports media sports media subscription site when there's no sports happening and it's something that uh, I think the it's a, it's a company I have a job I'm still in good standing it's I think the company will still. I don't think the company's going anywhere. But tough day when you know. I know some good people. Uh, there's seven, uh, eight people in the in the hockey sector. Hockey hockey writers laid off who I who I know some better than others, and just a just all a tough. All good people too. All, all good all good people, and uh, just a just a just a tough day because it's uh, it's it's never good to see. People get laid off, and then there's not only that, and then just probably one of the other reasons that I didn't really feel like coming back to record and include the podcast is just I get a little bit of uh, uh, layoff PTSD, for lack of a better word. Um, you know that when I lived, when we lived in Austin, I had I worked uh, for a paper called the Cedar Park Leander Statesman, where I got called in on a Friday thinking it was a normal meeting, and they closed the paper and they got rid of my job and I got laid off. Um, that was a publication that I had moved to after leaving another publication, which I had intentionally left because I went from a two-person sports staff to a one-person sports staff, where they laid somebody off. I came in that day and said, "Hey, we're going to lay the other guy off." So that the the layoff stuff kind of gets to me a little bit, uh, as, as as it should. And I'm and I'm not I'm, I'm I'm in I'm not complaining right now because I have a job still. It's not it's not fun to get a pay cut, but I still have a job. I'm still and I still get to uh, kind of, I get to do what I love right now. And so, uh, but it was it was a bit of a rough day and I appreciate uh, you understanding and I think our listeners appreciate you <laughs> deciding to uh, soldier on a couple
0: days later to, uh, to, to, to answer some questions. I guess the real question, and this is just me selfishly patting myself on the back, is did anybody get the musical intro that I used between... <laughs> those segments, when I did the little five-minute explanation of what was going on. Did anybody pick up on that? It was a. It sounded like it was actually a, a group called Two Cellos. And they're these two European cello players that play all sorts of insane rock and roll covers. And if you've ever been on YouTube or if you haven't, I encourage you to go see them because they're insane. They do things like uh, ACDC's Thunderstruck and Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. So that song was actually, in case you didn't pick up on it, was the Queen song, The Show Must Go On. (laughs) And I decided not to use the Queen version because I wanted to be a little subtle. So if anybody picked up on that, kudos to you on that. Um, But yeah, no, it felt like one of those things where we had done almost a full second segment. And I didn't want to uh, waste it. But really, Sean, it came down actually... To one of our Quarkast listeners, and I didn't name him last week, I referenced him, but uh, Oleg, who has DM'd me a couple of times on Twitter, said, asked, hey, I've got a 14-hour drive to Michigan <laughs> on Wednesday, which would have been two days ago now, um, any chance you can, you'll have a Quarkast to kill a couple of those hours, or could you just call me on the phone and talk to <laughs> me about the Dallas Stars for an hour or two, just to kill some time? And I thought that was so funny that I said, oh man, the show must go on. So we did that and it was, you know, it's it's always better to talk to you than it is to talk to myself because I do enough yeah. of that on my own. But it is fun as a broadcaster to to do the exercise. And there were a bunch of Quarcast questions that were aimed directly at you or your experience, which is less beneficial when you're not there because yes. a couple were, hey, Sean, what do you think? And I'm like, well, yeah. 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 I'm not going to be able to answer that. But no, it was fun to do that. Um, just from a serious note, Sean, I'm, it's not something that is just solely reflective of the journalist's side of, of hockey sports. As I've been laid off. I was with the Albany River Rats, my first AHL team, which I was super excited to get to because it was my first step up in the hockey world um, from the Elmira Jackals, which was my uh, first hockey job in the United Hockey League. And I. I got to Albany for the 07-08 season. Um, Then in 08-09, obviously the massive housing market recession started to really cripple things in the country. And part of that, our owner, our local owner, Mr. Walter Robb, who sadly passed away at the age of 91 or 92 earlier this spring due to coronavirus, which is awful. Um, But Mr. Robb, was a retired GE executive, had you know, plenty of money, but he was feeling the pinch of his investments not showing up as much as they were when the market really went south. And, and so the team had to basically lay off half, or I think it was about half of its full-time staff to try to get by on a skeleton crew. And then I think it was a year later or uh, two years later, he ended up selling the team to the, become, they would be moved to the Charlotte Checkers. Um, is where the river rats went um, so I've been in that situation I'm actually on furlough right now from the Dallas stars as most of the company is although maybe with the announcement of some things this week that we'll see some changes coming soon in July perhaps and uh, it's like it's not easy' I mean the thing is is that it's not. I don't know if it's consoling or comforting at all, but it's not like this is a an athletic problem. This is a no. This is a global problem. So yeah, we're we're all in it together, so to speak. So from uh, my standpoint, it sucks to watch good people, and I don't want to name one or two that I know better than others because I don't want to single mm-hmm. those out as if the other guys aren't and you know other writers aren't good people. But um, you know, we see some like for I I w- okay. Can we even Winnipeg, that sucks. I mean, they all yeah. Tom Reed in Columbus I saw. I don't have them all in front of me, the list. But like, yeah. like every time you see those guys put together stuff, it's just massively, um, it's, it, it's, it's impactful because they do great work. They're good people. You're always fun to see them when they're in your market. Sean, you go to their markets traveling and, mm-hmm. and you don't like to see that. So I said I didn't want to single anyone out and then I did. So yeah. that's not good. All right. Let's get to episode 12 more specifically. Uh, mention dates. Phase two of the NHL's return to play is underway, and this week they finally, in Dallas, hit the ice. Not every team has players on the ice yet. Some are coming up here, I think, uh, Monday, which would be the 15th. There's a few more. Some have, and there's a small contingent in Dallas right now, basically one group that's skating in Frisco.
1: Yeah, there's a group of five in Frisco right now. It's uh, Jamie Ben, Tyler Sagan, Blake Como, Ben Bishop, and Jamie Alexiak who have uh, are the only ones that have skated so far. They're the only ones that are that are uh, in town. They're the ones that are in town and have uh, have remained in town this time. There's other players who stayed in town a little bit longer and then returned home um, after because they they weren't going to spend all three months here. So um, the it's it's interesting. I was thinking about this the other day. Of as we go through this phase two with the groups of six, it's gonna get it's gonna suck when you get it's gonna suck for the guys who get stuck in a group without a goalie.
0: I was thinking about what happens when you're the seventh guy. Oh yeah, that's gonna suck you have too to because skate by yourself until eight, nine, and ten. Well, show up. and that and
1: that's something too that they may that is something that Jim Nill and I have talked about of how do you start to figure it out because you're not allowed to change groups at all. Right. So, in hypothetical situation, say uh, Joe uh, Joe Pavelski's in Wisconsin right now. Say Joe Pavelski decides to drive down to uh, to drive down tomorrow and come back to Dallas and go through this test and everything. Does it make more sense to put him in the Ben Sagan Alexiak Bishop group right away and fill that group to six, or does it make some more sense to say, "Hey, let's"? see if someone else is going to come back. And so you at least have, we can start start building another group. So we might keep this group at five until we get to another, and then, and then have a group of two or three, as opposed to, since we can't all of a sudden
0: mix groups or anything. Speaking of which, Sean, have you heard anything? Because I have not, and of course I'm not as investigative yep. as you are, but is there any information at all about non-Dallas Stars in the area that are trying to use the facility because we talked about that possibility but now that it's actually officially phase two are there any non-stars NHLers playing in Frisco or trying to
1: um from my understanding there aren't right now um I have not checked where Blake Coleman is I do know him he I believe I I know he was kind of in a weird spot where they were trying to figure out where to be and I don't know I think that's one of those where you're still you still figure that out The other thing just you talk about skating and dealing with these things that that's that's crazy to think about If they skate in Frisco just hypothetical here if you skate in Frisco you have to go through all this testing If you are to skate if you went to go skate at one of the other rinks in the area You don't have to go through all this testing. That's a good point Because like for example, he just wants to informally skate. So for example, Alex Ovechkin skated I saw pictures of from the other day Alex Ovechkin and a bunch of other Russian NHL skaters.
0: I saw one of those pictures too on yeah. Twitter.
1: They skated in Florida yesterday with a group of seventeen people.
0: <laughs> but it wasn't an NHL sanctioned building.
1: It wasn't. It wasn't an NHL sanctioned Phase Two group. So they can do that. They can, by not being at the Capitol Center back in in, in Virginia, um, he can skate with seventeen other players. Right. I mean, they're
0: and- supposed to be as part of phase one they're supposed to be in relative isolation to try to yeah. protect us. but yeah I don't so know. like for example I know a bunch of the players in Finland um, I know many of them
1: are probably gonna skate in a group about nine or ten
0: well you saw I'm yeah. sure you saw the Instagram videos of from John Klingberg skating yeah. up in Sweden yep yeah. and that was so, a group of more than six
1: so yeah so it's it's one of those where there's more restriction on the NHL team facility right Um and so just to, if you're in Blake Coleman's shoes, if you're still trying to figure out where you're going to go and you're just going to skate, I mean, do you want to go through three days of testing where to, to skate with Dallas players when maybe in a week or so you're going to drive to Tampa? I don't know. That's something just to think about.
0: There's a lot of moving parts because as we said, phase two, has we've, you've interviewed players. I've had players and coaches on. Uh, when we did our radio broadcasts on the ticket lately of basically saying, we're waiting for something concrete because until you knew what was going to happen with phase three and beyond, there was no point in them uprooting themselves. And you had said that Jim Nill and other GMs around the NHL have all said to their players, basically stay in place until we know for sure. Well, the major changes in major league soccer, who officially announced all of their stuff and had their draw yesterday for their summer tournament in Orlando, and the NBA, which announced very detailed uh, list of of dates coming up for when they have to report for training camp in their home markets, then when they have to report to Orlando because they are also going to ESPN Wide World of Sports down there in Disney World, and uh-huh. and and then sort of this is when the games will start. This is when. The finals will be, this is when the NBA draft is going to be held. This is when the next season is being, again, all those dates are very fluid, even though they have their, you know, numbers on them, they can all change. Um, But you get the feeling that there was a little bit of pressure for the NHL to clamp down an actual phase three date. And they did indeed announce it. um, uh, Was it yesterday or the day before? It was yesterday. Oh, um, uh,
1: it, it was yesterday. Yeah, so whatever day. Today
0: is Friday, so yesterday yes. would be Thursday. <laughs> but, but they announced that, that, indeed, July 10th will be the start of Phase 3. And now, Sean, with that news, all this these question marks about Phase 2 can now be, some yeah. planning can be put out.
1: Yeah, and you're at a point now where players will start to look at, okay, if camp's going to start July 10th, maybe I want to be back in Dallas on June 20th like just that type of you start to look at that type of timing because July 10th one thing I know stars will definitely want I've talked to Rick bonus and Jim Nil about this the thing the stars will want for July 10th is they want July 10th they want to take full advantage of all the time they want July 10th as much as possible to be an on ice day it's not going to be like obviously we, we think a lot about training right. camp and like when we say typical NHL training camps like oh typically it starts September 15th just to pick a day Typically, they're not on the ice till the 16th or 17th because there's a full day of testing and and media day and stuff like that. So they'll want guys in town at least a week before, two weeks before with this, where they can go and they can get these three days of testing done. They can do this and they can get, and and so that's going to be, and that allows them to kind of go full steam ahead for July 10th. And then that allows them to kind of work in, Probably roughly a three-week training camp to really get things going, and and I think for the stars, and I wrote about this today. I think the stars, the the training camp could be more valuable to Dallas than a lot of other teams, Um, because every team's going to be like, oh, we're going to fix this, we're going to fix that, and we've uh, there's there's so many coaches that have watched way too much video right now
0: because they don't have anything else to do. They,
1: They have nothing else to do, right? One thing we have to remember is Rick Bonus has been—he's been able to make some tweaks. Rick Bonus didn't really have a choice other than to completely run Jim Montgomery's system from December 10th on. Right. Like, he um, didn't even, have
0: the time yeah. to dedicate to doing any systemic changes within the team. So right, yeah, you just don't—I mean, you barely have practice time at that and, point of the season.
1: And, and these are changes that. You can implement, it's you can implement, hey, we're gonna do this differently on the power play or something, you can implement little things like that. But to really implement a change in, in, in mentality and things, you need that consistent practice of working on this, being able to do this and everything. And, and so, and, th- and this happens with a lot of interim coaches. A lot of interim coaches are really just playing out the stretch. And that's why typically interim coaches are for teams that are bad. They're typically just playing out the stretch with, the old coaches system right and so I don't think there's going to be and it won't be major changes the stars aren't going to get away from their defensive structure and everything like that because Rick bonus was a big part of building that but this is an opportunity for Rick bonus to maybe put a little bit more of what he thinks the stars should look like systematically
0: so um, I read your article this morning yeah. Sean, and one of the comments that I thought really stood out right and bones said the same thing to us on the radio that we had him last Saturday, so a little about a week ago, but he talked about wasting puck possession, mm-hmm. uh, making ill-advised decisions, and then b- basically turning yourself into chasing for the puck again when you already had it. But the the point that you that really jumped out was some of the team's star talent playing like third and fourth line forwards. That yeah. really was interesting.
1: Yeah, it was one of those things where we were having that conversation of you need to see, the players need to, he wants to see way more controlled entries, way more controlled exits, and he wants to see those players that have the talent to do things with that realize, hey, you have the talent to play that way. This means, this means, hey, Jamie Ben carry the puck into the zone. This means
0: don't be afraid it, to make a play. Don't be
1: afraid to make a play, and that that there's a lot of that. Um, now, this doesn't mean you're going to see the complete get away. Like there's a time. The other thing too is there are times. One thing we do need to remember, just as a quick break check, is dumping the puck is not always a bad play. That that's something that I think we sometimes we sometimes it sometimes gets overly criticized. Of people like oh well, dump and chase, dump and chase. Only dump and chase is bad, but yes, but but, but a, but a but dump and chase is an effective play at times.
0: Especially if the team that you're doing it against struggles to control breakout yes. against your forecheck. Correct. Or if you're looking for wearing a team down for later. In, it's like body blows in boxing. So yes. It may not come to fruition until later rounds.
1: Yeah. And so the bigger thing, though, is, okay, that's still going to be part of it, but can we create more? Can we... Can we take that second and realize we're skilled enough to hold on to the puck to make the play as opposed to throwing it away for a lower percentage play? This doesn't mean don't take risks. That's not what this means. This doesn't mean don't take risks. They want to see guys still take risks and everything like that. But if there's a high, if, if there's if, if the risk could yield high reward, great. But if it's If it's a low risk, low percentage, low reward play, it doesn't really need to be there. Like you don't need to throw a puck, for example, just I'll take an example. If you have possession on the top of the left circle and no one's pressuring you, you can wait. You can wait to let the play open up, like like just just
0: throw it back into the corner, yeah, or things like that. Things like that that he wants to see more toward the net when you're really just giving the puck away, and that's interesting, Sean, because in our next segment we're going to talk about the Stars and Avalanche in '99, yep, and there's such a difference between that game and today's game is stylistically about a shot from that distance, right? Mm -hmm. A shot from the top of the circle was a pretty high-quality chance back then because of the goaltending, uh, the style of goalies, this, their size. Nowadays, if you don't have a layer or two of, uh, of obstructed view in front of an NHL goalie, a shot from above the circle is almost basically a turnover, isn't it? In many
1: ways. I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of those where it's, it, it doesn't really do much. I mean, today's, today's typical NHL goalie, not only is it just a save; it's typically just a held rebound, unless you're, unless it's a tremendous shot. Uh, it's one of the, uh, it's one of the things where, that that's one of the issues where we look at like, the one advanced metric that I would love to see, and hopefully we're going to get it more when we get to the actual player tracking is I'd love to see time of possession and what it translates to. Yeah. I'd love to see what NHL teams do. Have have more or or which lines do? I? I'd love to see that what metric
0: comes as you said what it yeah. what what comes out of that yeah. like, like we all think that having the puck more in the attack zone is gonna wear a team out yeah. and create more offensive chances. but what if a team has a lot of possession and doesn't do anything with it? and you know you and I are both big soccer fans and there yeah. are plenty of soccer teams that are good in possession but not very good in the final third in actually creating chances to score. And that can be a real problem when you face a team that parks the bus. And so if you face a defensive hockey team, we'll get, bring it back to to hockey for a minute. If they're really good about like the Dallas stars are playing without the puck in their own zone, is it as bad as chasing the whole time? Or is it a lot of wasted energy for the offense it's always. I mean, Sean, yeah. you and I know from playing in a much lower level than the <laughs> NHL that it's much easier and less energetic to have possession than it is to chase the puck. Yeah, and that's the in, same in soccer or in any sport where you're you have that. It's a lot harder to play defense without it than to have it with it.
1: One thing I would love to compare is I would love to take these three categories and just see how it matches up. Of, I'd love to compare time of possession in the offensive zone. I'd love to. I'd love to have that list of one through thirty-one of time possession in the offensive zone. A list of look at Corsi one through thirty-one and look at high danger chances one through thirty-one. And I'd love to see how those match up. Like because
0: we always talk about Corsi. Does Corsi actually matter? Because there's context of a shot and location, not just a shot Mm -hmm. attempt. Right. Yeah. So. And that's why, and add in quality scoring chances. I love tracking that. Yeah. Do you are you as a team that has attack zone time generating really good looks, or are you shooting from the perimeter? Yeah. Wouldn't that be interesting? No, it would definitely would be. So. In that regard, let's uh, let's get on to segment two. We're gonna bring back after it seems like weeks on end the classic game recap. All right, segment two is our classic game recap. The last couple of weeks, we've had some things coming up that were involved that felt more important than this game. And frankly, we pushed it back because a game in 1999 can uh, percolate a little bit without losing anything because it's not going to change at all. So now we finally get to the Western Conference Final of the 1999 Stanley Cup playoffs. Dallas Stars versus the Colorado Avalanche. Sean, in the first round against the Oilers, it was pretty clear that the Dallas Stars were by far the better team. It was just a matter of time, and they swept the Oilers out of the first round. Second round, St. Louis Blues were a much more quality opponent. Nothing against the Oilers, but St. Louis was a better team, but the Stars were never in a position where they were trailing in the series, and they always felt like they were going to prevail, even though St. Louis, I think, had the talent to win. They just never put the stars in an uncomfortable position in yeah. the third round the stars were in an uncomfortable position several times colorado really tested these guys
1: No, know this was a tremendous series this 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 series is one of the um and we're going to talk about buffalo series with the actual cup series later but this to me you look at kind of this felt this this felt like a Stanley Cup worthy this felt like a Stanley Cup worthy series this oh, would be goodness, yes. if these two teams were playing for like you felt like the team that won this series was probably going to win the Stanley Cup and it's one of those things where you not only with in this individual year and someone brought this up the other day and brought this question up to me in the mailbag is it's one of those where you look at the uh, you take a look at the kind of the era of the late 90s and the stars kind of get forgotten as one of the dominant teams because they only won the one cup like you think of the 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 the, the 90s to the, the mid the 90s to early 2000s you think of the dominant teams you think of obviously Detroit you think of Colorado winning two cups you think of New Jersey winning three cups in a span of 8 years Dallas was people forget that maybe if joe knew and, like, doesn't get hurt in 1998 the stars may be looking at going for a three-peat in 2000 mm-hmm. potentially and so it kind of it was one of the, it was two of the great powers of that time too, of meeting in this not just in that individual season but of that era the, of colorado and dallas and um it was one of those it was one of those series too where it's the first time really I, you look at it and you you're probably watching that run as it goes along and if you lived it live, you're thinking, you know what? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, Dal- I'm thinking Colorado's going to advance here. I think, I think they got their number, and and that's kind of that goes, that takes us back to. We're talking about Game Seven today, but this is a great back and forth series. It's uh, stars have kind of had to counter punch a little bit more in this series. They did go up two to one after they did win Games Two and Three, but then Colorado wins Game Five, um, seven to seven to five, I yep, believe it is. It was. And, um, and that's talk a about game it
0: back and forth. Both teams it, had leads in that game.
1: Yeah. And that's a game though, where you go through, and I don't know if you were able to watch that one because Fox sports, I was not because that's one where Fox sports Southwest didn't show up. That's one that I didn't watch it for this exercise, but when I wrote my book a couple of years ago, I I went through and I got, I was able to get the, I was able to watch through every single game of the cup run and the, um, that game five, one of the most disheartening things about it was, It was the Pierce into the Eddie Belfour armor. Because it was a game where you score five goals against Patrick Waugh and lose. Right. It's pretty disheartening. Listen to
0: this, Sean. Colorado goals in the series. 2-2-0, 3, counting overtime, Mm -hmm. 7-1-1. One of these things is not like the other. Yep.
1: And so game five was
0: just disheartening from
1: a Dallas perspective of... We scored. We scored five goals against one of the greatest goalies of all time,
0: and at Reunion Arena.
1: At, at home, and we lost. Yeah. and and so that was. And so they go to Colorado for Game Six, um, and that's one of the the. It's a big bounce back game for Belfort in particular. Well, obviously, they're facing
0: elimination yeah. for the first time in the playoffs. Yeah, they had not been on the brink of being knocked out until that game.
1: Yep, and this is, and you go in, into then. Belfour's performance to me, when you look at game six and game seven, his performance to me in game six and seven what, with with the season on the line, to me, this is the reason that you start to wonder, should he have been the con Smythe winner?
0: Yeah, I mean... To, and, I'm, and
1: I'm not saying Joe Noondiak wasn't. Joe Noondiak was obviously tremendous. But we can you start a whole
0: to, segment debate about that because I think you're talking about 1A, 1B, but you're right. Because yeah. throughout this series... There are times where the stars weren't the better team in a game, but Belfour was so good, or maybe not in a game, but in a period or two, and you go, well, mm-hmm. they didn't have a very good start, but boy, Ed Belfour yeah. was great.
1: Yeah, and he was tremendous. And, and it takes just into into Game Seven where they're coming home, and pretty much this is the biggest, um, this is the most important win win it and on home ice in franchise history in my mind this game seven because obviously you lose this while the season's over and and, and, and you and, and 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 you're out and this was since they didn't win the cup on home ice this was the closest thing you'll get to um kind of that hey i mean there was a trophy presentation after it yes. too so i guess <laughs> and darian
0: hatcher actually touched the yes. western conference championship trophy which is i can't remember what the name of that is that's embarrassing it's not the Campbell, is it? Is it the Prince of Wales?
1: Wales is Western Conference. Yeah. Campbell is the uh, Campbell Bowl is the Eastern Conference. Right. He
0: actually grabbed it with his one hand. Well, Bill Daly, who was then an, uh, he wasn't the deputy commissioner, or was he? He was the <laughs> vice president, or something like that. So he comes out and poses with it. But before that, Sean, like this game seven. Okay, so now Colorado's feeling a little nervy because. They're on the road. They had been really good. They had lost one road game in the entire yeah. playoffs up until this point. It was actually game two in Dallas. Because remember, Colorado won game one and five, as we were just talking about, at Reunion Arena. So they, were, they had a chance to take three, which kind of reminds me about the Stars and Blues series of the last couple of years in 2016 and 2019. Because... The Stars lost those games, those series, in part because they couldn't take care of business on home ice. Yeah. And so to get the lead, Langenbrenner had a great goal. Uh, It was one of those plays where Neuendijk went down the left wing, centered it, and he was able to just redirect it from the mid-slot. It wasn't that close to the net, but he pushed it in. And just getting the lead was huge because in the second period... The Stars did, and I kept saying to myself this, Sean, and, and you probably watched this series in 2000 between the Stars and Devils more closely <laughs> than I did because you were a Devils fan growing up. Yeah. The Stars-New Jersey deviled the Colorado Avalanche in Game 7. They had yes. the lead. They sat back and absolutely smothered the neutral zone. They didn't give them anything that from in close, on that, and Belfort took care of everything from outside, and they counterattacked constantly and that's where Mike Keene scored his couple of goals in the second period was simply just the stars were up they didn't have to chase the game and they just I mean what at one point they I think they held Colorado's like one shot on goal in the second period
1: yeah I mean they basically hitch hockey done basically right. it was it was that's what it was it was hey we're gonna we've got the lead we're not going to open up ourselves to anything and when you try to open yourself up to break us down we're going to take advantage of it and it's uh and it's it's it sets up the obviously the big game for Mike keen with the, the goals about four or five minutes apart or whatever it was yep, in it the was, second period was
0: four minutes and five seconds or something like yeah that. yeah
1: and and by the time you're going into the third period it's three nothing and with how this game is the third period turns into a coronation,
0: basically. Yes. Yeah. Well, like, then, yeah. I just want to point out the Yuri Lettinen goal because... Yes. Re- remember, um, I don't know if it was, it was early in the quarantine. We did a, The Stars did a, a, a roundtable on online, a kegger, with Andy Moog, Razor, and Ed Belfour, And they were talking about what, things you would change from a goaltending perspective and I think you and I have discussed this many times before, but Belfort said he'd get rid of the trapezoid because Mm -hmm. he says it's exciting to watch goalies go out into the corners and make plays, but he said, and make mistakes. And in the playoff rounds prior to that, we saw Eddie make some mistakes in the corners when he was trying to be overly aggressive handling the puck. Well, maybe the most aggressive puck handler in the history of the NHL is Patrick Waugh, and down three to nothing... He made a really bad error because of a good forecheck check by Mike Madono and basically coughed it up right in front of Yuri Lettinen, who had an open net, made it four yep. to nothing. And Sean, the point of this all is I think you could see two things. One is you should get rid of the trapezoid because I want to see more Alex Stalock like plays, as you always love to talk yes. about his game. But also. Patrick Waugh made was basically making a statement is unless we really do something drastic we're not going to score three goals and come back on Dallas in one period correct I mean it's it's desperation and
1: sometimes desperation breaks you which it did in that situation um,
0: so uh, is that an is that a no-brainer should we get rid of the trapezoid
1: yeah I, I think so because I, I I've never thought the I've never thought the trapezoid had the effectiveness anyway because if you really wanted to limit it, and you really wanted to make it, you would just make it, make it completely illegal for goalies to go by below the goal line. Right. That's what you would do. And cause that's most goalies, most goalies didn't roam over to the trapezoid anyway. Like that's the type of thing where they basically this rule was in place because of, because of Bredor and Turco basically. Right. And that that's why this rule was put into place. And, um, it's, 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 we don't need it for if let's, let's use this for an example. No, if we got rid of the trapezoid, you would see probably a, you would, you would notice a difference with Ben Bishop's game. Oh, absolutely. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be a major one because he still, he still handles a lot of those pucks before they get to that corner anyway, but you would see a difference there. You would not see as much of a difference with Anton Hudobin's game. Just for example, like <laughs> You might see an adventure here or there, but you wouldn't see on the nightly basis of, oh, hey, he's in the
0: corner. Like, you wouldn't see that on a nightly basis. Well, coaches would certainly not want to see that. Yes. (laughs) Fans, us? Yes. Yes, we absolutely want to see those because, you know, somebody's going to go too far and then go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not where I should be, and it'll be a race back to the open net. Yeah. I think it'd be fun. uh, Honestly, you're right. One of the things, and I I don't want to hijack this segment completely talking about goaltending puck handling, but goalies dump, jumping right behind the net in the trapezoid to knock down pucks that are dumped in is a big part of of stopping the chance to get a forecheck going because their ability to set something up just by simply killing the the puck being rimmed around the boards I think yeah. is really tactically a big deal.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's something where you have... One of the things where we talk about... Um, it's interesting that you talked about Belfour... Saying we should get rid of the trapezoid. I've talked to Turco quite a bit before about his puck handling, and he actually gives Eddie quite a bit of credit for being so good at it, at a level. Uh, Marty says Belfour was underrated at it, and I think he was. And and but because of that, it made it easier. Marty. Marty coming back and, and being that puck handler wasn't a new thing to the stars. It was just someone taking a current level and making it better. Right. Marty has said, like, if if, if, Belf- if the team wasn't so used to Belfour back there before him, maybe it's a little bit more radical and he doesn't get as much of a leash as he, as he did.
0: That's a very good point. Um, and then finally, on the statistical side of this, Belfour faced 19 shots on goal, Sean, in Game 7. He stopped 18 of them. He was fantastic. If it wasn't for the Joe Sackett goal with about six minutes left in regulation, he gets his second shutout of the series. But think about that: chasing the game down one nothing after the first and three nothing after the second, Colorado could still only muster 19 shots on goal. The Stars ended up with 25 on Patrick Waugh. I mean, that that's just a, a great example of how stifling hockey was in that in that game. Um, and and frankly, in the win in. Denver at McNichols Arena in game six. The Stars fell behind and then they got, you know, tied it up and then took the lead in the third. Belfour faced 27 shots. Patrick Waugh faced 40. So this yeah. wasn't just a one-off, was it?
1: No, no. This was basically Dallas took what happened in game five and they basically there was a real, we're going to shut this series down. We were the best team throughout the season. Let's Let's make that statement now. And and to me, obviously, we know they won the Stanley Cup in the next round already. That's why we talk about this whole 99. But to me, you see what they did to that Colorado team in game six and seven. And I don't know how anyone would have thought, would have picked against Dallas going into that final series.
0: Yes. Well, we'll get to that next week maybe. We'll see how our, our uh, week goes and what news comes out because you never know. But... That would be the plan would be to finish up our 99 journey with the stars and sabers next week. Obviously game six is going to have a focal point, but we'll see how much I get through next week as well. That's our look at the classic Western conference final from 1999 up next. Well, we talked about phase three's date being announced. What does that mean for hub cities a couple weeks after the initial 10 team announcement? We'll discuss that next. Mm -hmm.
2: How I wish that there were more
0: than... All right, segment three of this week's episode of the Quarcast, which is into mid-June. We'll now touch on this. Sean, back on May 28th, Gary Bettman said, the NHL commissioner, of the list of ten teams that were still in the running for hub cities, narrowed down from, I think, probably two-thirds or more of the league that was interested in being a hub, that he would probably have to make a decision in about three weeks' time. He said specifically (laughs) that. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because three weeks from May 28th would be June 18th, which is one week from today, or seven days. So today's the 12th. So I would not at all be surprised if within a week or so, or a few days around that, we hear about who are the hub cities. Now, just for those people that are not familiar with the list of 10, Chicago, Columbus, Dallas, Edmonton, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Vancouver are the the 10 teams that are or 10 cities that still have a shot at this. From everything that I've read, and I believe you are in agreement on this, it seems like Las Vegas is going to be one of them and one other, do you get that impression?
1: That's one of the big impressions I've been getting that's definitely something that I think is going to that's where everything seems to be trending for me as far as it's going to be Vegas and it will Vegas with one other city on um, the other thing it will continue it will continue this conversation that doesn't mean Vegas in another Eastern Conference City no. I mean in fact there's only three Eastern Conference cities on this entire list uh, yeah, three right yeah Pittsburgh Columbus Toronto yeah that's there's right. only three and so it could be two Western Conference cities, which wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, it's one thing I wanted to kind of do as we go through this, and we're, I figured we, let's try and play this game on this on this episode here, of, let's pretend we're the committee tasked with picking and kind of go through it. And I think it's kind of a fun exercise to go through and it kind of gives us some of the logistics that maybe gives us a better idea of what will be looked at as as we go forward. Uh, the other thing about it too, just real quick and just to kind of hammer away on hub cities that I, that keeps popping up and it's been asked of me and I just wanted to kind of say it right now just to get it out of the way. The concept of hub cities is a bubble. And I know people have asked me, it's like, oh, well, if Dallas gets it, is there, ch- since the governor Abbott has said, Hey, we're going to, we could have uh, 25% or 50% of the people in the stands. Does that give Dallas a better chance of getting the hub city? The point of the Hub City is not to have fans. The Hub City is, the Hub City is to, to have a bubble, to have everything as controlled as possible where basically NHL players don't get to interact with, with regular people, to keep them away from them as much as possible. Right. And by introducing, by having fans in the building, it becomes a control point that doesn't work. If we're at a point where fans could be in the building We probably are are ditching the Hub Cities, to be frank. We are probably at a point of, okay, well, maybe they do the first two rounds in the Hub Cities, but we're at a spot in the world where if it's, say Dallas makes the Western Conference Final, just for this, this, say Dallas and and Vegas make the Western Conference Final. You could say, okay, well, we're at a point in the world where it's safe to have people in the building, so we'll play those games in Dallas and Vegas. This is purely speculative right now, but
0: but they're leaving that option open.
1: They're leaving that option open. So it's, it's one of those things where don't hub cities, it doesn't matter about fan base, the fan who's around and, and it, it doesn't matter at all. Um, the other thing to remember too is this will be, it will be a good financial. I think the important thing to remember is it will be a nice financial bump for whatever city because you're at a time when lots of people aren't spending time in hotel rooms and everything like that. But it is not this massive financial bump that of like, hey, like we're going to bring all these fans. games. Yeah, it's not like that. It's not like, hey, we're bringing all these fans that are going to spend money and everything like that. It's very much, it's a small little blip of a bump, but it's not a bad thing to have, for well, lack of better
0: If Dallas were to get picked, let's talk about Dallas first and then we'll go to the other yep. cities. Yeah. Um, the Star Center in Frisco is is basically shutting down their practice side rink, which is yes. the rink that the Dallas Stars use most. Now, they do go to Comerica Center's ice sheet, which is the other side of the building, because there's two sheets of ice at Comerica Center. There's the arena one with all the seats. I think it seats about 4,000 or so. And then there's the, the practice rink, which is directly off the Stars' locker rooms. They use the practice sheet mostly, but they will go to the other one if they're doing certain things where they need it or if it's available. And Sean this is not surprising at all. There are absolutely no public uh, availability on the practice sheet from yes. now until the stars either leave for a hub city or become or if the hub city begins is Dallas and they they basically till 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 pay. at least
1: till at least July 31st right now is right, what's right. already been there but that's a date that could be rolled back if if training camp goes beyond that it'll be even longer or if Dallas is a hub city you may have even more rinks shut down because teams will...
0: It would make sense if you're worried about things to not have... Because there'll be 12 teams initially descending upon each hub city, right? Yes. There'll be the eight teams in the play-in, the qualifying round, and then the four teams that will be battling the round robin for seeding in the first round. Yes. So, obviously, there are some of these markets that we'll get to that don't have 12 distinct ice rinks Available or sheets of ice because yeah. in the sake of the Comerica Center, they have two pads in one building. You could have two without ever really commingling. But if you have dedicated ice surfaces for each team, that would cons- you would think that to be a pretty good plus for health and safety, wouldn't you?
1: You would, and that's definitely something Dallas has. Um, that's something the Canadian cities have as well, even though they're not. They may not all be under the same umbrella. Like one of the benefits for Dallas is they all fall under the same umbrella. Correct. It's Correct. it's negotiating with one person to get things down. So. Dallas is Dallas checks all the boxes except for just to be frank, I believe the state of Texas is now second or third in the most COVID 19 cases, Yes, which is it now, yes, uh, it's, it's one of those I two. I think
0: it's second only to Arizona. If I, yeah. if I, I saw a chart yesterday, so it, it, the Texas as a state, uh, and Dallas County have not been trending in a good way lately, and correct, um. Look, there's a whole debate about whether or not opening quickly has been a good thing for economic reasons or if it's been bad for trying to quell the spread of COVID-19. Ultimately, if you become considered a spot, which it feels like they've been talking about Texas is just a little bit behind Arizona in that regard, Yeah, I think that hurts your chances.
1: I, I think it does, too. Um, let's let's. You want to you want to move east or west? Which way do you want to um, start working our way around the let's map? Let's
0: do the three in the east because there's only three. So yes. you have okay. Pittsburgh, you have Toronto, and you have Columbus. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the thing, issues with Columbus is that I don't know if they have as many facilities. They they don't have as many facilities. There still is there's if you're
1: doing Columbus, you're at a, you're going to have teams sharing some ice services. Right. That's, That's going I mean. to happen. Um, the other thing about Columbus that is a net positive, just as far as locale, is um, there is a, another sheet of ice in inside Nationwide Arena already. So you could have um, you could have a more concealed practice bubble. You could have a more concealed practice bubble if you could have. It would re- require some intense cleaning, and obviously, thing is that. But in theory. You could have seven or eight teams practicing one day in nationwide arena, between having two surface devices right. under the same roof um, inside that bubble. Um, so Columbus doesn't have the same amount of surfaces across the area as Dallas does. It does have it does have experience in hosting things like this. USA Hockey has hosted and has hosted camps there before. You've had um, uh, you've had also. I think the World Cup of World Cup of Hockey held some exhibition games there too mm-hmm. before the whole tournament moved to Toronto. Um, so it is it is
0: one that that fits. Um, and remember, just even though we're nitpicking certain aspects of it, all ten yeah. kind of these cities meet the at least minimum requirements set up by the league to potentially qualify yes. as a hub city. Correct. Okay. Correct. So, yeah. anything that you think really holds Columbus back from being named as a hub city? Um, Nothing that holds it back from.
1: Nothing that holds it back more than others. Like for for lack of a better word, there, there are some there are some places we are going to get to where and at, where I'm going to eliminate them early as we play this game. That nothing like that for Columbus right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you have you also have a state that has kind of gone through, gone went through a bit of the COVID a little bit earlier. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what, that, where that leaves us in August, but it, that's another thing to consider.
0: Yeah. Um, Mike DeWine is the governor yeah. in Columbus or in, in Ohio, and he was much more stringent than some of his other, uh, Republican governors around, uh, colleagues around the, the United States. And Sean, you remember his rather public, uh, show of force, if you will, I don't. That's maybe not the best word to describe it, but his st- strong stance against Columbus at the time saying they're going to keep playing before the shit yeah. of pause happens. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, we'll see. I mean, there's, there, they've been opening up a bit in Ohio, and there's, it seems like there's enough testing around, or at least they think they can, and majority yeah. of youth sports have started up. Whether or not that's a good idea or not is a different question, but... They also
1: have a, they, they do have a, I'm drawing a blank on which one it is, but there is a, uh, it's not a Marriott hotel, so sports writers, not that sports writers would even get to go, would be upset. <laughs> um, but there is a 500, I'm drawing, I think it's a Radisson property that's right next to the rink. That's 550, has 550 rooms, which would be more than, would be probably enough to cover everything you need right. as far as the, uh, as far as getting everyone in there. So you, you've got that. Yeah. Um, it's it's also the other thing too just as far as timing um and this is something where well i'll take this as we start transitioning to talking about pittsburgh you you have another it's another it's it's a market in the eastern time zone and so remember this is a made for tv product this is going to be a made for tv product so there might be some benefit in having a having one hub in a Western time zone, one in an Eastern time zone, as you're structuring a kind of this TV programming for all of this. Well,
0: and I think so, I think that they would, if all things were equal, they would like to have one in the East, so it didn't feel like it was just crammed in somewhere. But look, the NBA is all going, and MLS are going to one specific location mm-hmm. for all the teams. That's the priority. It's not so much about having an East and a West. Correct. Um, the last in the East is, um, of course, Toronto, They have tons of facilities. It's a a major hockey center. Uh, But obviously, one of the concerns about Toronto was they have... uh, There's two big concerns about any of the Canadian cities available on this. One is that they're a big city that has lots of coronavirus uh, up there and infections. And then they have a a two-week quarantine mandated still in Canada, Canada. which was really going to affect their training camps, let alone being a hub city.
1: Yeah, the fact we've got Canadian teams talking about, hey, we're going to do training camp in the U.S. is already a, an issue that makes it difficult to go to. Now, we have seen reports that the Canadian government may, may consider working with the NHL to make this
0: possible. It seems like some of the premiers of the provinces, like of Alberta, British Columbia, because we'll talk about those in a minute, yeah. are, are kind of pleading with the Canadian mm-hmm. government to make an exception. Yes, because and, that would allow them to still be a hub city. Yeah. And, I mean, don't you think if, if all things were equal that the NHL would like to have one Canadian city and one U.S.? I would think if all could. things...
1: If they could. If yeah. That's the... If, if all things are equal. I don't know if they'll be able to, but I think if all things equal, they'd like to, but...
0: Well, that's the other thing. Like, Toronto, lots of things to do, although, again, having lots of things to do kind of defeats the purpose of being in a bubble. But, yes. Um... The same with Edmonton and Vancouver. Now, Edmonton has said that they have secured the rights for a golf course or two so that players could play golf that nobody else yeah. could use. I mean, they're trying to make it more amenity uh, pleasurable. Yeah. Vancouver is a, obviously a big spot on the circuit. You love Vancouver. I love Vancouver, yeah. It's, so the players do. But again, if you're supposed to be in isolation, does that actually matter? Is it more about what facilities you have than amenities?
1: Yeah, and I think you kind of take a look at some of the, you look at the places on this map and let's be, you look at, aside from really the, aside from really the United Center, you're talking about newer buildings yes. in most of these places. Um, I guess Vancouver is not a newer building, but it's also, but you have like it's Edmonton, it's not that old, but like Edmonton's building, Rexall, place i know there's all the rexalts <laughs> um whichever one edmonton is i think
0: it's rexall place no it's not place or, or it's
1: anymore it's ro- right oh no it's Roger it's now rogers place
0: yeah it used to be rexall yeah that was the old building yeah
1: so it's now rogers arena so, ro- rogers rogers,
0: ro- rogers place
1: rogers place is vancouver rogers arena is
0: edmonton i thought it was rogers center in vancouver i'm pretty sure it's roger's center because i i think roger's place isn't i don't think that exists we're gonna have to look it up now i think vancouver is roger's place uh roger's place is edmonton
1: okay then roger's arena is because it was
0: rexall place remember was the old building. so or it was actually northland's coliseum way back in the day so um i think it's roger's arena in vancouver not roger's center right I think so. Yeah, Rogers Arena is in Vancouver.
1: Okay.
0: Let's not even get into the Scotia Bank differences, right?
1: Well, at least I mean the cal- Calgary's at least easy. You can just say the saddle dome That's and you're right. fine. So, yes. anywho, um, <laughs> Edmonton's a beautiful building. It's got it's it also has an it's an, like Columbus. It's got uh, it has another sheet attached right to it. You have kind of this easy bubble. Um, you've got the rinks around there, so Edmonton checks a lot of boxes. Really, the only issue with Edmonton, um, and Edmonton has less COVID nineteen cases than Toronto's had. The only issue with Edmonton is, do we have the uh, this this immigration issue? So,
0: so let's move back to stateside. Yeah, when the George Floyd uh, protests obviously some riots and looting. And I have to be careful saying the George Floyd riots because it's not just about riots, but correct in Minneapolis, there were some severe, you know, civil unrest. Yes. When I saw that, Sean, I wondered if that might be a disqualifier for the NHL to go to Minneapolis, St. Paul. They have a ton of rinks in, in the twin cities. (laughs) Um, I don't know if there's as much next to the rink, XL Energy Center in St. Paul, uh, but obviously they have downtown Minneapolis nearby. Do you think that makes it harder for them to get picked because of the unrest and the the political or the racial protests that have been going on? But it's not just in Minneapolis. It's been all over the world.
1: Yeah, and I I also think it's, this is a sad way to say this, but I think it's tough for a league that really i think is trying but hasn't tackled that hasn't tackled all of this racial unrest extremely well there's been definitely been some missteps and i think because of that they may just be scared off from going to minneapolis at all because um I, i think that could be a factor of this is kind of the epicenter of where this um where everything kind of uh I can't say started because obviously racial this is not started but um, where the where George Floyd was murdered I can say that up uh, where he was it's to go to that city requires some uh, reading the room better and reading the world better and I don't know if the NHL's done that well enough and I think they may just avoid it complete yes they, I they may too. just avoid it completely for that reason
0: well That would also possibly be an issue in Los Angeles. And we've discussed this before. LA doesn't make sense from a standpoint of that California has been much more strict as far as their rules, although they, and they've also had a lot of cases in LA because it's a large, major metropolitan city. But you have mentioned before that the connectivity between Hotel and Staples Center could be a real positive. Could, and, and plus the weather in LA is not terribly unpleasant
2: no no
1: the the issue for LA though for me is if when we're talking about just hosting the games it works the issue is if we're going to be playing three games a day the I mean the Kings practice the the in, in El Segundo there's not I mean LA does not have the ice in my view to to be able to Uphold and and manage all of the teams you need for anyone to actually be practicing. That's that's the issue for me Staples Center itself. when We're talking about hosting the games sure. and we're talking about about um, Having enough locker rooms to keep individuals teams safe inside that building. It's great But they only have one ice surface in that complex And so unless there was some radical idea of I know the LA convention centers right there someone's like there's some radical idea of let's like let's let's put ice in the LA convention center like um, I don't, to me, I don't see how LA fits because of that. Um, I just don't see the facilities close enough. I don't see the setup well enough. Um, and you need to have at least two or three other rinks available in my mind, two teams for this. And that's something that Vegas has, which I guess we'll talk about Vegas next. Um, it's something that Vegas has, Vegas is a front runner. Vegas doesn't have all the sheets like Dallas does, but clearly that's not stopping them from becoming a frontrunner. Well, they
0: have the hotel space. Speaking yes. of Las Vegas, they have tons of hotels in the area around T-Mobile Arena, brand new mm-hmm. building. They have the practice rink out in um, in Summerlin. Yep. And I would imagine, does the Orleans still have their ice sheet?
1: They could put it in. What right. I've heard is what I've heard is it could be put in for. Because
0: aren't they going to host? The Henderson that, Club until they build their arena. That's
1: where Henderson's Henderson Silver Knight will Silver Knights will play for the next two
0: seasons. So uh, Henderson will play in Vegas for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Well, it happens. But yeah, so I mean, is there any way Vegas doesn't get picked in your mind? Um, I mean, I feel like it's possible, but it seems very unlikely, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, <laughs> I would bet on Vegas. Uh, um, the only, <laughs> the only, the only way I would see Vegas um, not being picked really is if uh, somehow in the next next month, in the next two weeks or whatever, we see the world open up to a point where. Uh, Vegas becomes a hot spot because right. that's something where that but I don't think it's it's i mean I know I know Vegas is so i I have an uncle who works in Las Vegas and he has been he's told me how eerie it is to be such a lively like that area is literally running and going twenty four seven to became to has is effectively like a ghost town is it's 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 eerie right
0: so um the only other two, we, we Chicago. didn't talk about Pittsburgh yet, the other yeah. team in the east, and then Chicago in the west. Chicago seems like that would be an interesting choice because, again, like the other major cities, they've had their issues with coronavirus. They've had mm-hmm. uh, a, lots of protesting going on uh, with the racism debate that's been going through the country, and rightly so, you, you mentioned United Center being one of the older buildings. I mean, it's certainly been updated and kept modern, but do you think Chicago, I mean, other than being a large city, do you think that makes a lot of sense?
1: Um, I think Chicago would fit. I also don't think it's I, – I don't think it – I think it's it, it's kind of one of those that makes the list more so of let's get our list to 10, Of just to be honest. Like sure. it's. It, I don't think it checks every single box as well as some of the other places. I think it'll be considered, but I also don't think it's, I I don't, I don't think it's, it's not to me one that says like, Hey, this is where it's going to be. To me, it's, it's nice to throw on the list of let's get a nice clean list of 10.
0: So the last one is Pittsburgh in the East. They have kept uh, over the weeks talking about how they have the university of Pittsburgh medical center right there. Uh, you know, so yeah. they feel like they could handle anything that would come out them that way. They have the ice sheets. Um, it's interesting how back in the what was it, the late '90s, we're watching the games for the Stars in that playoff run, and they're talking about whether or not Pittsburgh will even have a franchise. If you remember back to that turbulent yeah. time, and now they've been completely different. Yeah,
1: it's it's Pittsburgh would it would fit. Um, they've got the setup they've got a good setup with the rink they've got a good setup there there's a good there's a bunch of hotels right next to the arena too that fit well um, and yeah, I would also kind of check that box of Eastern Conference City that uh, Eastern Conference City where we you're trying to go east-west um, and uh, yeah, it, it's very similar to Columbus in my mind. It's, it's very similar to Columbus in this situation.
0: I would. I sort of thought that Pittsburgh might get picked. So all I right, could, now that we've had this, let's let's. Yeah. What do you think? Where are your two hub cities if you had to choose? If I have to
1: choose, uh, I'm thinking like I, I personally. I understand the NHL saying they want to do in both countries, but. I, I don't like the idea of that I, I, I think to me it makes too much sense to do both markets in one I agree both in both in one country and for that reason I'm looking at two American markets because well I think Edmonton fits I don't think Vancouver and Toronto fit on the top of the list right now and so that's why they they, they drag Edmonton out and so for I, I look at that and I think Vegas is a really good fit and I, I look at them as one and and then you take a look at, I, I think it comes down to, I end up looking at Columbus, where I think Columbus fits with, because Dallas is one where I think it would be, it would definitely be nice if it happened. And we're obviously cover talk about the stars quite a bit, but I think you look at where, if you're trying to be realistic and where cases are with with, with the disease and everything, It's. I, I think it's Dallas, what's, what's happened lately with that probably isn't a good representation. Um, And so I I look at Las Vegas and Columbus probably as being those two, but then I also wouldn't be stunned to say Pittsburgh, but kind of Las Vegas, Columbus, that kind of screams out to me.
0: Yeah, I was in that that same sentiment. I thought maybe we'd see Vegas and Dallas, but the fact that Dallas County keeps spiking um, and growing in cases is not a good sign, especially when we're talking about maybe Gary Bettman having to make a decision sometime in the next week or so. Mm -hmm. Uh, If that's the case, this is not the best time for Dallas to be picked. Um, I think that I always felt that, that Columbus made the most sense, but that they wanted maybe cynically something larger like yeah. Pittsburgh, like Toronto. I think they're really hoping for something like that just because look, the, there's a league office in Toronto. There's a ton of Canadian, but here's the thing, Sean, I think Canadian viewers will be interested regardless of where those games are yeah, hosted. I, I, I don't I, think I don't... you need to have it in Canada as much no, as they I might like to.
1: I don't think so either. the uh, the one interesting thing, just from a quick just a quick note on this, that's just um, the stars would would love for it to be in Dallas. But do you know what would actually be from one thing I've been told, one thing that would actually be better and healthier for the Stars franchise would be for Vancouver to get selected, because if Vancouver gets selected, a couple of the hotels considered are are Gallardi properties. Oh yeah. And that so, from would
0: be really good for him. Although, and so, for wouldn't you think that the Sandman in Dallas or in Frisco would get gobbled up by somebody because they're close to the practice rink?
1: Um, or does it I'm, need to be? It does it, But that does would be. But that would be. But that would probably be the Sandman in Frisco. I don't know how many rooms are in that hotel. Yeah. But no, you're, you're right. talk-
0: more, Vancouver would be good financially for him.
1: Vancouver would be. That's where his he would be able to be. It be the and plus the Sandman in Frisco really isn't a the quality of hotel NHL players are used to staying in. So um, not that it's a bad hotel, but it's the type of hotel that a prospect stays in during training camp. It is not the type of hotel. It is not the W where the players move once they... Or the Crown
0: Plaza or the Ritz, Carlton. Yeah. Or the JW Marriott's of the world. All right. Well, that'll be interesting to see what happens if by next, this time next week, we're talking about the specifics or not. But it was a fun little exercise because... We're back to a two-man lightning round next. All right, everybody, it's lightning round time. So nice to be doing it with both of us again. I hope you enjoyed my solo effort last week. Tried to, as best as I could to keep the conversation running without anybody else talking to me. It just shows the kind of fun this goes on inside my brain. Yep. All right, so, Sean, I'm going to hit you with the first question. Uh, Luke actually mentions to me just a few comments. Owen, oh, well done on soldiering on with last week's episode, the dramatic classical version of the show must go on was a brilliant transition by the way thank you Luke figured it out I love it uh, and I hope Sean has recovered from his employment oh. the news it must have been very worrying
1: yeah no thank you Luke for uh, for listening thank you for the comment Owen I did listen to the show afterwards Owen did a good job with the uh, with the solo round and then uh, I also uh, yes it was uh, as, as we kind of opened the show with definitely. A bit worrying when you're talking about employment with anything. So we are, we are back, and let's, uh, let's, get into the, uh, let's get into some
0: questions here. Oh, crap, Sean. I didn't prepare for this one. Gallup Gus, I appreciated the discussion you all had on episode 11, and I'm glad the Quarcast is so progressive and willing to talk about such issues. I'm so proud of you guys. Thank you very much. We try our best to, to speak about hockey mostly, but you know certain things transcend that, and we had to, to speak out about it. That said, Gallup writes, this week Sean shared his five favorite Pixar movies, and it's a great list, and I wanted to see what Owens is. And I saw this, Sean, earlier this week, and I started thinking about it, and I said, I'm going to have to sit down and really think about it, and I have not done that yet. Um, so here's, here's the thing
1: about the Pixar... I'm going to just talk while
0: you start to... Why don't you tell everybody your list, just for those that didn't see your...
1: So yeah, I was I was I was asked I was asked by Josh Clark Josh Clark asked this question NHL.com correspondent of what would be my uh, which he asked which Pixar movies best and so I decided I was just going to do a top five list and when you start to make you you don't realize how many good how many really good Pixar movies oh, there are until so you many. until you try to limit it to five um, so real quick some of the ones that just missed the list that did not make the top five was up which is a tremendous movie really good which that that just missed the incredibles which is really really good um all three toy story sequels which are all they're all good and the thing is
0: is that they, they get progressively better animation wise yes and you go back and watch the first one and it's just not even from an animation standpoint it looks really antiquated
1: yeah, but it also didn't feel right to lump all the Toy Stories into one category. Yeah, too. So, so, well, so for each
0: one, stand alone is yes. fabulous.
1: So, to me though, the original Toy Story still makes the top five. So I, I, I had my my top five. I'll go from five to one. Uh, five was Wally. I Wally was five. Um, I like Wally Toy- a lot. Wally's yeah.
0: actually probably the least dialogue of any Pixar. Yeah. But you don't it's, need it. It's really fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. I had Toy Story at four. Um, I had Inside Out at three. Oh, that's a really good one. That's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Coco at two, which I think is... A, I, I don't know if anyone's... That, that's I've a seen really, Coco. Oh, yeah. I've seen I, them all. I, I like that one. And then, then for me, number one is Monsters, Inc. Um, I love, love Monsters, Monsters, Inc. I wish
0: yeah. Monsters, Inc. had today's animation because at the time yeah. it was groundbreaking. Yeah. Now it doesn't, it, like, like the earlier Toy Story, it doesn't look quite as good as, like Monsters University, I don't know if you've seen that I have seen all. that, yeah. It's, that one's really great, and it's animated. Animation. Yeah. It's the same thing as The Incredibles. Yeah. The first Incredibles is a fantastic movie, and then they came out with the sequel, uh, what is it, 11 years later? Yeah. Uh, no, even longer than that. It was 2018, so it was 14 years later, and what a difference in visual appearance, um, and it was a good movie, too. Yeah, here's my problem is so you have Incredibles at number 1?
1: No, 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 Monsters Inc was number Monster, 1. I'm sorry, no, that's right. No, no, Incredibles Incredibles missed the top 5. I had them they were in the conversation. It's it's so tough it's of like Such
0: a good movie. I think yeah. the Incredibles has to be in your 5. Here's my problem. How is Cars not in your 5? Cars uh, is such a brilliant movie and it's I, well done and and then how is Ratatouille not in that list? I mean Ratatouille is, Ratatouille is
1: good and it's I'm not saying it's it's one of those where as you're starting to... The fact that Ratatouille might not even be top 10 is crazy because if you think about it, I have my top five, I have Incredibles, I have Up, and then I have three Toy Story sequels. Like, that gets you to 10, like, already. It's like...
0: If, yeah, I mean, Toy Story's amazing because each one keeps... Im- like, you go, well, yeah. they can't possibly make another good one. Like, yeah. when they had the third one, which had such an incredible ending, you thought, okay, that's it, there's no more. And then they came yeah. out with a fourth, and it was great. Yeah. Um... For me, one of the, it was, I like every single one on its own. Like I've even seen the newest one, which is Onward. And I yeah, I've seen good. that too. I don't think Onward stands in my top 10. But, no, no. But I really, I liked it. I thought it was yeah.
1: good. It's not a bad movie. I enjoyed it. We, um, it was, it was interesting. So this list, this list, this list prompted me to, I watched Monsters, Inc. yesterday, actually. Um, I watched it with my daughter. Which was fascinating to me because it's the first time I've watched that movie. When my daughter will be two in about three weeks. Oh my God, it goes
0: by uh, so fast, doesn't it? It feels like and, yesterday. You didn't, and Christina just yeah, had Evie.
1: Exactly, and so she'll be she'll be two in, in in about a month, just under a month. Boo is two, in that movie. Oh my goodness! And so this is the first time I've seen that movie since having, first time I'd seen that movie and having a kid around that age, and it was it was wild to see. I actually gained more appreciation for that movie because of how accurate the two-year-old in the movie was yeah. <laughs> like it's something I had I would have never it's something I did not realize how accurate the two-year-old mannerisms the two-year old uh, reacting to things was uh, until I actually had a close to two-year-old myself so that did, it made the movie even better
0: I'm telling you what I'm really struggling with this um, like I don't – maybe not my top ten, but I like The Good Dinosaur. I thought that was really well done. Um, mm-hmm. The movie Brave, I love that. I think. Oh, that's I, got, I, mean. I, I, I
1: got flack for not having that one in the top five from my wife. Oh, um, understandably, but yes, again, yes.
0: I mean, I may punt on this one because I'm not sure I can narrow this down in the time frame of our lightning round. Because there's nothing lightning about me thinking about it. because look, Finding Nemo was re- was a oh, Finding f- Nemo's really great, really great movie. Monsters Inc. I'm a big fan of. It. I don't know if it's number one for me, but it's up there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I can to narrow it down to five within the time frame. So that's I do answer.
1: have. One, I do. I do have one disagreement with you. Okay. As far as which one? Um, no, I just just one disagreement on concept of. You look at all of the pixar movies and the cars series may be the bottom of the list oh dude i
0: no, just i i
1: don't if you can find
0: something the to cars i can't series is the bottom of the list i think it i mean they're really clever i mean the first one i mean actually i actually like them all but and I'm not saying they're
1: bad movies. This is, we're just talking about the, I, 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 I don't know if you could, if you can name a Pixar movie to me that I would put below the Cars series Nilly. on this list. So yes. you
0: put A Bug's Life ahead of it. Yes. Okay. Um, and like, have you seen, you've seen Onward now, haven't you? Yes. Yeah. I really? Uh, the uh, cars, I mean, Cars, yeah. like, think about it. <laughs> I, and I'm not even saying Cars is my number one. It's just that I know that my boys were into the Cars movies for a really long time. And they had the Lightning McQueen uh, action figure cars and you know all the different ones, especially in Cars 2 because they start to have more exotic cars. But like, I mean, th- they, they made three of them, Sean. To call them the bottom of the barrel is, uh, I think, a little short-sighted.
1: <laughs> I, 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 but I, I don't know if you can name one that, I mean, onward, I mean, I don't think you can name one that goes below it.
0: Really? Yeah. I just, I, I really don't think I have think a hard time with this because I don't like saying that any of their movies are less important. Like, it's hard to say, oh, well, you know, yeah. maybe I'll say that A Bug's Life doesn't hit me like some of them. I'm not saying say it's a bad movie. I'm just saying no, No, no. I'm not, I'm not saying they're be bad better. movies.
1: I'm not saying they're bad movies, but if you were to rank them from one wow. to. I don't know. It's a
0: bold take, and I appreciate yeah. you taking your stance. I just don't think I agree with you. Yeah. Well, I. It's a strong franchise that I think you have to consider. I'm a big fan of Ratatouille. I really like that one. That is a good one. But I like The Incredibles. I, mean, I We're going around in circles here. Yeah. So, um of I'm going to end up punting on this one and tell you that I don't have a top five in the time frame but you have at least spurred us a great conversation of all of these what would be even harder sean would be to try to come up with the top five shorts oh yeah That'd because be those are fun too um yeah. although the the one with the sandpipers the birds yeah although the the, the original short that i love was the birds it was the ones where they were all sitting on the electric wire yeah that one may be my favorite but they they're so good they're, they're okay yeah Alright, enough of telling Pixar how great they are. Christopher writes in, since Curtis Douglas wasn't signed to an entry-level contract, if the Stars can somehow find some cash before the draft, can they still sign him? Is it possible that they will redraft him? Also, what do you think Jason Dickinson's ceiling is? It? Two very different questions.
1: All right, let's let's tackle the Curtis Douglas one first. So Curtis Douglas is a prospect who the Stars decided not to sign. Um, he, he who is six foot he's six foot eight uh, he's a forward, uh, the issue and the stars probably would have signed him in a normal year. Um, but with where they are as a, uh, both financially and business wise, it was not a prudent financial decision to right. sign him. Um, so to answer Christopher's question, the issue actually, it's not as much the cash, um, because Curtis Douglas not, Not signing Curtis Douglas was effectively a savings of about $70,000 for this year because Curtis Douglas wasn't going to play in the NHL this year. Um, The thing to remember about Curtis Douglas, and this is something that the Stars and many teams are getting very worried about heading to the season, is they don't know where a lot of these prospects are going to play.
0: What if they don't have a team for them?
1: Exactly, exactly. And so let's use an example of some, let's take an example here that is um, a real-life example of Colton Point right now, is paid. Um, Col- Colton Point is still on his entry-level contract. These next year, the A- say the AHL does play. Even if, if the AHL, if the ECHL, if say the AHL plays and the ECHL doesn't play, just for this conversation, okay. the Stars don't have anywhere for Colton Point to play, and they still have to pay him, they still have to pay him for that season. Curtis Douglas would have fallen into kind of that realm of players that If we can't find a place for him to play, we still have to pay pay him. Um, And you're also, and and so you look at it was uh, the uh, the uh, the prospect stars did sign. um, uh, 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 Carlstrom. Carlstrom. He already has a team to play for in Europe. Right. So it was okay. They
0: don't have an AHL team. He could stay with his team in Sweden for another year. Yeah,
1: he can stay there. And so Douglas, there just wasn't a spot for him to play. And I mean. There is a real worry right now that there may not be an AHL or ECHL season this coming season. Right. Because there, they
0: are completely yeah. gate-driven leagues that really rely on fans going and paying to see them play.
1: Yeah. And the other so and there may be something, there may be some solutions. I've heard some other speculative things here of we might try this or that. But those solutions are for the top five or six prospects in each organization. It's for the Jason Robertsons, it's for the Ty DeLandres, it's for the Thomas Harleys. The Curtis Douglases of the world are going to get left are getting left behind during this, and so um, would the stars. If the stars can somehow find the cash before the draft, can they still sign him? Technically, they could still sign him. Yeah. Technically, they just lost his exclusive negotiating right. When you so, but they're not going to. No. Uh, but to, to answer his other interesting question of is it possible that they will redraft him? Um, if you if you got to just hypothetical situation. If you got to the seventh round, well, stars don't have a seventh round pick. So, huh. if you got to the sixth round and he was still available, uh, maybe you do that to extend his rights if you really liked him. But if you really liked him enough, you'd find him a way to you'd find a way to resign him. So I think they're done with him. Like I, I just said, so. it's it's one of those where um, if it was a different year, they, he's he signed and they take a flyer on him, but he's not enough of a. Uh, He's not enough of a sure thing in any sense at all to be worth the risk right now. Right.
0: I mean, there's always a chance that down the road, if the Stars wanted to sign him to like an AHL contract, yes. they could if they had a season and see yeah. where that takes them. But I just think that, like you said, if it was really a, uh, an important thing for them, they would have signed him. So, yeah. Um, the other part of Christopher's question was about Jason Dickinson's ceiling. What do you think about that?
1: Um, I think he's about at his ceiling right now. I like to think
0: that he could be a little bit more offensive. That I I think that he has the capability of it. it the, the question is, is that is he he always has, and he's admitted that he's been a defensive-minded forward in his career. Mm-hmm. And can he can he jump into the offense a little bit more? I thought we saw some signs of him when he was playing with Zuccarello last year that that brought out some of the better you know offensive part of his game. But maybe maybe he is he is when he can only fine tune it from here.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think he's pretty close to his ceiling. I've been, I've grown very much of a belief that a player's prime now is 23 to 26.
0: Which is crazy, isn't it?
1: And and Jason Dickinson is 24 already. So like, to me, I don't really, there's nothing, there's nothing about, you can, you can add a couple little things here and there, but to me, I don't, I don't think there's much more. I think when a guy is 24, he is pretty much what he is now um, in many ways.
0: So the next question comes to us from Hannah, who says, Firstly, I want to let you know that Quarkast has been a consistent highlight of life in lockdown here in the United Kingdom for me. If you were magically gifted the ability to fluently speak another language, which would you pick and why? First of all, Hannah, thank you for writing in. She, uh, in her byline, Sean, says that she's from Newcastle upon Tyne, which, of course, is in the northeast part of, of England. And... I think if I were not a Liverpool fan, I could be a Jordy. I think I could support Newcastle <laughs> United. Um, I've, I like them a lot at times when Alan Shearer was playing for them. Michael Owen went and played for them, one of my favorite players, because, uh, of course, I'm the same age as he is. And also when Rafa Benitez was managing their club. So just uh, taking a digression here, I don't think, uh, I, I'm still probably at the current state, uh, uh, my second team would be Wolves, because I love the way they play, um, but I could be a Newcastle fan. I think I could be talked into that.
1: I actually have a, uh, after we answer Hannah's question, I have, I'm going to throw a random question okay. into you very successfully. But, All right, well, uh, um, what
2: about,
0: uh, flu- add a, gifted a, a language, which one would you uh, pick, just magically popped in your head?
1: Um, well, with with this stars team, my job. I know what you're gonna say. Well, it would be it would be most effective to speak Russian.
0: Oh, not Finnish.
1: Finnish was a first thought, but I I am at a point with a lot of the Finnish players where they I understand them and sure can. But the Russians to me, I think there's a lot. I, I think I think the Russians to me. Are ones that would open up even more if you spoke a lick of Russian. I think the Finns do a decent job of, of, uh, of. But I, th- I think, I, I think if I spoke Russian, I think Alexander Radulov would would be a lot more forthcoming. Would be a lot more. It'd be an interesting uh, open,
0: conversation, wouldn't it? would
1: Be more of an interesting conversation. I think, I think Dennis, Dennis Kurianov obviously has done a great job to learn English, but I think, I think I would, I think Denny would be more, even more comfortable. So. I, it was either Finnish or Russian, right. and I was thinking—I was just thinking—based off how could I build some of those relationships that might beat a bit more? And if I can magically speak Russian, all of a sudden I'd be able to maybe uh, communicate, build a little bit better of a relationship with some other some other players.
0: I I have the same problem with this question that I had with the Pixar movies, which is I have too many choices and I'm having trouble narrowing them down because um, in one regard, I think being able to speak French in hockey would be a really beneficial thing. I speak. I used to speak Spanish almost fluently, <coughs> and I haven't done it enough and practiced it, so I think it would come back. But um, French would be beneficial, Sean, because obviously with Quebec and Montreal and, and a lot of French-Canadian players, that would not be a bad skill to have. Um, yeah, I thought about Finnish or Swedish because of the fact that the, there's quite a few NHLers there. We have some Swedish players on the team, now a lot of Finns. When I first started with Dallas, we had a lot more fin- or Swedes than Finns. That's mm-hmm. changed. Um, one of the aspects I would like to be able to speak is German because it's not like any of the you know Latin-based Romance languages. And my brother-in-law is from Germany, and it would be fun to be able to converse in that, even though he speaks English uh, fluently and is fine. Um, and my sister actually speaks Greek. She yeah. went to school there for a little bit and now lives in in Crete on Crete. That's always a fun one. If it's you usually say you live in a country, but if that that part is an island, you usually say you're on it, right? You're not in yep. Hawaii, We're, are we in Hawaii or are we on Hawaii? I guess you're in Hawaii cuz Hawaii, Hawaii multiple yeah. you be, but you're not in Maui, you're on Maui, right? Yeah. I don't know. So yeah. anyway, uh, convoluted as that is, maybe Japanese. Okay. Yeah. Um uh, so, I've got a buddy in Japan in Japan, a couple of them who I probably could speak to more, even more fun. I, I know a few phrases, but not a lot.
1: So I, I wanna bring a question that I was asked okay. the other day. I was asked this by our, our we have a writer at The Athletic um, in Toronto who does a little bit of both uh, Toronto FC and the Maple Leafs. He does a little bit of both. Okay. And so he was kind of building a rooting guide for the, he was, he was working on building a rooting guide for um, the new EPL fan, that's a hockey fan. Okay. As in, like, one of those, like, hey, you like this team, oh, so you okay. should like this team. So he's trying to find and, sort of a correlation between and, the teams. And, and so he had sent me a message of, hey, I'm, having, I'm struggling here to find a correlation between a Premier League team and the Stars. What do you think?
2: Oh,
0: geez. Um, so I feel like it has to be a mid-table club, okay, because the Stars – so, you know, Everton would be good. Everton was the was one of my thoughts. Here's why: but... Everton used to be good and has won a Premier League title. They're always in the mix, but not always one of the top teams. Now the stars have been up and down, and they were really good at for. They had a heyday. I'm actually also having teams think like I almost think about like Blackburn or something where Blackburn used to be a powerhouse and now they're not even in the APL, which. Is not fair for the stars because the stars are right there.
1: But this is an, this is an EPL right. rooting guy, so, so it this has is. to
0: be. I mean, yeah. Is Arsenal above because they've been wishy washy? So I
1: went. So the one I went with here was my suggestion to him, um, and this is why this prompted this. I actually said Wolves, and here's why. And I said I like Wolves, I, but here here's how I here's how I put it. I said, well, I said. And I, I, I joked, I said, well, if Wolves comes out and starts parking the bus in the first game, then they're the, they're the stars. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Which is not, that's why I like Wolves, because they don't yeah. play like that. Yeah,
1: and so my, my point was Wolves, wolves were the, uh, they, they haven't made the transition to the, uh, the Ken Hitchcock, Jim Montgomery style, but, okay. they, but, but if you take, they're very simple, they would be a reminder of the, of the Lindy Ruff stars, and similar to the stars, Wolves kind of went through a decade of complete irrelevance. Before uh, kind of getting to the top level, before kind of coming back and all of a sudden being a team that you look at, and they're not gonna, they're not a team that they can't win the Premier League, but they're a team that they're in the Europa League, they're making a nice little run, and so that that was kind of that was my that's the one I kind of came upon. I don't know if it's the best fit, but I thought it worked,
0: yeah. Okay, I'm with you on that. I, I might still go with a team like Everton who has you know, had their glory days, seems to, uh, I, I think Doubt the stars are in a better place than Everton right now, mm-hmm. so it's not a perfect analogy. Um, actually, I want to look at the table real quick because it's been a while since there's been any games, so let's take a look at the EPL standings briefly on the cast, because why not? I mean, you yes. know, that's <laughs> the whole point, right, is to diverge as much as possible. Wolves... Is not in a bad way, Sean, because they sit in, set in sixth place. Yeah. Um, They're still in the Europa League, know I believe. What? Spurs could actually be Dallas. They could be. They could be. Um, Think about it. So, Dallas was the best team in 2016, right? They were the number one team in the Western Conference. They weren't the best team in the league because the Capitals were there. They had a really good team. They played a fun style and they just didn't get over the hump. Tottenham Hotspur makes it to the Champions League final, loses to Liverpool. They were, you know, they're they're on hard times at the moment, but they're still a big club. That one's not a terrible one. I wouldn't give it to a team like Sheffield United or Burnley because I don't think that they've been consistently like stars have been sort yeah. of mid to upper table. So yeah, but... you don't go down to the Watford's or the Bournemouth's. Yeah, but to me, that's why I—that's I, why I like Newcastle. Wolves. Maybe this all comes back to Newcastle. Maybe Newcastle. I don't I'm know. I'm okay with that. Maybe, maybe Dallas Stars or Newcastle because <laughs> they had their glory days. They got relegated, so they had their tough times. That's They're back true. in the top flight. They haven't really been a threat to the top ten yet. Eh, I could see it. Maybe maybe yeah. you go Newcastle. Maybe. All right. Um, moving on, Brian says player autographs should be hard to come by for the foreseeable future. How about paying a flat fee to the player's charity or cause of choice in exchange for a signing? Everybody wins. Come on, guys, make that happen. What do you think?
1: I mean, sure. I mean, I don't. I mean, you say make that happen. I don't. I mean, autographs had already become harder to get this year in general because of the NHL. Um, Limit on uh, on on security. The NHL kind of changed the security right. protocol of where people could get access to players and everything. Um, so yeah, I mean, Brian, it's it's it's, it's not a bad idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, getting the concept of getting free autographs and and seeing players and everything like that that's 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 a normalcy where we may not be we're probably not getting until. Calendar year 2021, to be frank.
0: I'm not a big autograph guy myself. I don't yeah. necessarily covet that. I mean, it's kind of if someone said, Hey, I've got an autograph of Wayne Gretzky, would you like it? I'm not going to say no, but mm-hmm. I don't really collect them like that. I'm yeah. more of the I would like to have a photo with somebody I met that's yeah. super cool. Like, you know, hey, here's a picture. Like, you know, I got a picture when I was interviewing Gary Bettman at the Winter Classic. That's kind of neat. I like that. Yeah. Um, that's more to me more interesting to sort of have a, a photographic commemorative uh memory of that moment than it is hey can you sign my cocktail napkin not yeah, like not uh, trashing anybody that's no the autograph and, seeker, but it, it's just not, it's not my thing
1: and i think to me it's interesting i think the um like as a kid there was i liked i liked the autographs when i was a kid and i think part of the reason was i kind of grew up with that was the most connection i could get to a player like i could be right. Like, oh, hey, I could get their autograph. That's the most connection I could get. Oh, hey, this player I really like held the pen that signed this and that was the closest I could get. To me now, I don't really care. Like to me, especially now seeing how little people care about actually putting the time into autographs anyway and it just the scribbling is very, makes it even less of value to yeah. me of like, like hey, it's okay. It's just, uh, that, that's all it is. To me, the bigger thing on things like that would always be the value of experience or the value of, of, of talking to someone and I think the tech technology has changed a lot of it too. I mean, you mentioned the photo, I think, I think I see more, we still definitely see autograph seekers, but I think we see more and more people waiting outside asking to take a selfie with a player yes. or something like that, which, where that is more valuable to them than, than just a pen on a piece of paper and things like that. So and if I were uh, in
0: that position, Sean, I'd rather pose for photos than scribble until my wrist hurt.
1: Yeah. So I think, I mean, to me, I think, the way an autograph would be of value um, would be what comes before it. Like if, if you had something that was like a heartfelt written note or an inscription that, that comes of value, but just the signature to me doesn't really hold much. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing just kind of with, I guess it kind of comes down to just like how you look at various sports memorabilia of what is of value and what's not like, as a kid, I loved hockey cards and baseball cards, and I still have a big box of them. But I don't really know what I'm going to do with them right now because right. it's like, yeah, um, are you still yeah.
0: interested in going to card shows or trying to yeah. sell them or who yeah. knows? So. Um, Ardell Nil Hand Jim Nil handled Monty and John situations with compassion and decency. Platitudes are tossed around often in sport, but Nil seems to be a genuinely good man. What do you know about him from his background and interactions with him or his staff? Um, let me tell, uh,
1: so Jim Nill is, Jim Nil's a very good person. Um, and while I may have disagreed or we have, may have disagreed or thought he made a decision wrong on a player or a coach or something like that, that's fine. Um, as a human being, Jim Nill is one of the, Jim Nill is one of the best human beings I've ever met. He is one of the, um, as far as just to kind of shed a little bit of light on something the type of person Jim is, uh, I have had conversations with Jim before about just human things where we've done an interview and I may have even asked him about things he didn't like and then afterwards it's always, he's always asked how the family is, we've talked about that. and. We've talked about, uh, I once had a conversation, Jim Nill, I give Jim Nill credit for, one of the things that him he and I once talked about is kind of balancing work and family. And Jim has told me how it's something he had to be better at at one point and make sure he was, and so he's told me that if, uh, and he's told me, and we've, we've talked about that. So he is a, he is a, as a human being, and I think both how he handled the Jim Montgomery situation and how he protected, a lot of the Montgomery family members na- that weren't named Jim Montgomery and how he handled the Stephen John situation. And, and there's still more to come on the Stephen John situation. I think there's some, some of that will come to light at some point. Um, that all is just kind of public evidence of how he handles things as a human being.
0: He, one time, because he talked a lot about family, mm-hmm. reminded me that he says, you know, look, we're being honest and direct with these players. He goes, but this isn't a love-in. This is still a job. We still have to have hard conversations. So, while he is a wonderful guy, and he, I think, should really be commended for his character and personality, he's also an adult. Yes. And what I mean by that is he has the maturity to treat other people like adults, which means head-on, not wishy-washy or tiptoeing around tough things. And he, as he said, this isn't a love-in. So well, we want this to be a family atmosphere and people to be comfortable and all this, we're still going to have these serious and m- meaningful issues that need to be tackled will be brought up. So I think that's one of the other things, Sean, that really should be applauded for him is that he knows... I mean, look, he's he's got a ton of experience playing and now managing, and he's with the Red Wings for a really long time, but... um, I think people really respect being treated like adults. And I think a lot of times in management for any business, whether it's sports or others, there's a lot of bad management out there. People that try to avoid confrontation because it's hard, or... I don't want to do with that, so I'm going to have my deputy fire this person, or we're going to do it on a Friday because it, you know, it's convenient for our corporation. I think that the people that have the most respect, at least in my eye, are the ones that don't shy away from tough conversations. That are yes. that say, you know what, I can handle this. It's not fun, but we're going to deal with this because this is the job that we've been tasked to do, and. I think that that has, as, like, he's a great guy, always very friendly, and that's wonderful, but his management style is one that is extremely mature, and I think I respect that as much as how nice of a person he is.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, he, he, does, he does a very good job, too, of realizing there is more to life than hockey as yes. well, which I think is something that... Uh, we forget about a lot of times when, when well, talking I mean, about people in the day we get
0: focused on the yeah. hockey minutiae at times yeah uh french yeah. toast writes in what networks will carry the nhl playoff games will the ticket carry the games and pre and post game show sean if asked will you live in the bubble and leave your family to cover the stars the answer to the networks is pretty easy because i believe that they will all be done by the rights holders which will be nbc in the united states and rogers Sportsnet in canada um, yes, in a way. Yes. Um, still Fox Sports Southwest, for example, will still
1: get the- uh, right, the regionals, for the, so the early the, rounds. The, the, will still get the first round and the seeding round, as well as the exhibition games.
0: What so I think, Fo- Sean, is, is it's going to be like a world feed where they're not yes. in market. Correct. No, the,
1: it's going to be a global feed that is going to be fed to Fox Sports Southwest. Um, and they will they will essentially be calling it off a monitor, right? And same thing, you'll I would imagine that you'll get that feed. Um, so for for uh, for Josh and Razor, they'll basically be doing the same thing the entire playoffs. It just depends on whether it's uh, going to the TV or the or the uh, or the radio. Um, and then I would imagine you would be able to answer this better. I mean, I would imagine the ticket would carry the pre and post game show. I don't see why not. They I've are been the Stars' flagships
0: and it was a month ago now, but I was told that we will have radio when the games begin. What the real question is, is once it's off of Fox Sports Southwest, okay, because in the first round, Mm -hmm. I would imagine they do it from the studios over in Irving. Yeah. After that, I don't know if Fox Sports Southwest will offer to keep using that space when they're not broadcasting it. So I'm not sure how the ticket would handle that if it's a radio only where they can't be on site. Yep. if they would have them come into the ticket studios to call it off the TVs there or, or something else I don't know the answer to that or maybe the stars will set up a sit, a broadcast studio elsewhere just to make it again who knows yeah. I
2: have yeah, the, I the, the, the other right.
1: interesting thing just as far as too if, if we have a point of hey we're seeing three games a day in these hub cities at noon two and eight just to pick times uh, no, 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 noon four and eight four. yeah noon yeah, okay. four and eight. Um, if the Stars are playing the noon game or the 4 o'clock game, they may not have much as, as much of a pre- and post-game show with their typical daily shows. Could be. It's just a thought.
0: Um, or for the ticket, right. For the ticket, the yeah. Timing. Right. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, we'll see so, what happens with so that. So to answer the second question from French Toast, um, so if asked, will I live in the bubble and leave my family to cover the Stars, um, to be honest, that's something I'm not really it's not something I really want to do. I don't really want to spend. I don't want to spend eight weeks or so away from my 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 infant my, my my pregnant wife and my soon-to-be two-year-old daughter. The other thing too,
0: circumstances are a lot different than they were a couple of years ago. For you, yes, yeah.
1: The other thing too that we have to remember is there's the other big element of the bubble is we're not going to get access. Media, if it's even there, is not going to be really in the bubble. They're going to, if any, any media that's there is going to, you're still going to be doing your interviews over Zoom. You're still going to be doing, it's not the normal access. And right, so, you
0: saw, um, was it the Indy race at Texas Motor yeah. Speedway where they had the players masked up, or the drivers masked yeah. up, standing with a, a bicycle barrier so yep. to keep the reporter back, and then they had like a, an extension mic. Yeah, to be able to talk to the guy. I mean, they're, they're going to be distancing for a while.
1: And so with that type of distancing and without any real access, without the ability to go in the locker room before morning skate and to watch practices and, and do that without that type of access, it's hard for a media company to justify spending, to spend, just just, just think about this, just on a hotel night. So say it's Las Vegas, just hypothetical, and, and you're getting, say you're getting $100 a night just for, And it's not that but just for hypothetical just Mm -hmm. here's here's a hundred dollars a night they're not going to spend think about the cost that it's costs to have the media member there between the hotels between the flights between the meals between the the, between the covid testing because someone's gonna have to pay for the media company all have to pay for that yep i don't know i don't think the athletic can justify spending twenty thousand dollars to have me in a hub city when i'm just going to be doing zoom interviews like it's just it's just a reality of it yeah
0: i don't know if they will either yeah. but i don't know if anybody will do that we'll see there no. may be some national media guys but maybe not they might say you know what we're going to do this from afar and distance this mm-hmm. um, yeah. last question sean jared writes in who is the star's best player right now
1: i want you to answer this since you've been wishy-washy on every other question
0: miro haskinen and it's okay not even yeah, close. It's a, here's the thing an, though the star's best player overall, because, look, Tyler Sagan might be their most skilled, but he's not the fastest or the strongest. Jamie Ben might be the strongest, but he doesn't have the speed anymore that he used to have, especially watching some of his early games, watching him zip around the ice. I think a guy like Rope or Dennis might be the fastest, but they're not the most complete yet. So there's a lot of different parts. This is why putting together a team is really fun. Miro Haskin, and I think, is the best in all combinations. However... I think Ben Bishop or Hudobin, we'll say Bishop is their most important player right now. But I still think Miro is their best player.
1: Yeah, Miro Hashkin is their best player. that's the It's an easy
0: answer. There you go. Wishy washy, yeah. be darned. Yes. I will work on my Pixar picks. I don't know if I'm going to get any closer with that, though. That's awfully yeah.
1: tough. I, I do want to see, I mean, I, I, I will leave you this with this one challenge. Find me a Pixar movie. Worse than Cars. So I don't
0: like that because now I'm trashing a movie. And I'm I disagree. Asking... I think Cars is better than you're giving it credit. I'm not here to say that Cars is my favorite Pixar movie. I just know that it is really well done and doesn't deserve to be trashed on as much as you've done.
1: It's not trashing
0: You're saying no movie is worse than Cars. And I'm, I'm not saying I'm cruel. not saying
1: the bottom of the barrel is bad. It's a very high barrel. <laughs>
0: I like them all. I want to be very inclusive. I don't want to segregate and kick all <laughs> oh. So I'm going to sit here and say that I don't like your challenge. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking my ball and going home. Okay. Well, anyway, thank you for listening. Sean, uh, nice to have the full show back, obviously, for the circumstances. And uh, looks like next week, maybe, we'll know who the hub cities are. Then again, maybe not.
2: stronger too maybe but none of them will ever love you the way I do it's me and you boy and as the years go by a friendship will never die you're gonna see it's our guest on you got a friend in me